Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to be your host, where I get to introduce listeners to some amazing women who are making a real difference. With our podcast, you'll get to hear inspirational stories, both personal and professional challenges our guests have overcome, how their backgrounds help to shape who they are today, and how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. Joining me today, I'm very excited to have Judy Moon, who is a fearless champion for greater transparency in the fashion industry. Judy heads up sales for a company called Everything. It's an Internet of Things platform that's trusted by global brands who want to transform their businesses with product digitization and data intelligence. It's a bit of a mouthful there, but let's hear all about it directly from Judy. Judy, thanks for joining our show. Thanks so much, Linda. It's great to be with you. So tell us, I mean, Judy, you have such a terrific background, a combination of technology and fashion. Could you just share more with our listeners about who you are, where you come from, your early influencers? Sure. So I am really passionate about leveraging disruptive technology for a better tomorrow. And I'm really fortunate that I'm able to make a difference in the technology that we can offer to not just the fashion industry, but to other industries within the consumer product space. I've been working for disruptive tech companies for the last seven years in various different senior positions, including client services, customer success, business development, and now as VP of sales at everything. That's great. No, I mean, obviously an amazing background. Tell us more about your family, where you grew up. Sure. So I should also mention that technology is actually my third company. I've held a couple of other, or I've been in a couple of other different professional arenas. I started my career in the media industry, both on the business and creative side. And I also went did some work in independent film producing. But regarding my background, so I was born in South Korea and immigrated to the United States with my family when I was seven years old. I grew up in Pennsylvania, went to University of Pennsylvania for, for my bachelor's and moved to New York about 30 years ago, starting out in the media space and now working in tech. So you're definitely a native New Yorker at this point. <laughs> I am. I am. For better or worse. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I'm still so, here, even during COVID. So yeah. <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that I loved when you were sharing about your parents, and I like to talk on the show a lot about values and, you know, the things that we get from our parents that we take with us. And you've had so many different chapters reinventing yourself. Could you talk a little bit about what were the biggest values that your parents taught you that stayed with you? Yeah. So I would say that personally, my parents have been the biggest influence in my life. And my family has a background in Buddhism. And so I think that really informs some of the values that we live by and that the children were taught. I would say that they had told me always to do the right thing, to keep my side of the street clean at all times to take personal responsibility, and always do my best and set the bar high. And those values have really served me well throughout my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure values that you'll pass on um, with your children. And so when you started out of college, just to take a step back, you started out in a, I mean, a very different business than you're in today. You started in marketing with Time Inc. Can you tell us a little bit more about your time there and who your influencers were? Sure. 
So I have to say, coming straight out of college, getting a job at Time Inc. was really a dream come true. I had always been interested in doing something in the media industry. I was very interested in Time Inc. because of the various different media properties that they own, such as Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated, you know, iconic media brands. So I was thrilled when Michael Loeb, who was in the consumer marketing division, he hired me to be on his team for Sports Illustrated. And Michael was just, uh, I would say professionally, he had the, the biggest influence on me. He was an innovator. He was an entrepreneur. He knew how to surround himself with the best people. And he was really ahead of his time. And he has been extremely successful. And it's no surprise to me. And there, I think you saw, you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that he really demonstrated out-of-the-box thinking in a way that you had not seen before. Yes, exactly. He as you said, thought outside the box. He looked at things from multiple lenses and really, you know, was thinking about things that nobody else was. And honestly, he was really ahead of the times. So much of, of what we were doing back then actually predated the internet. And so much of what we're doing now today actually predates back to the kind of stuff that Michael was doing with his team. So tell us, you had mentioned that you'd worked on one program in particular that you really loved, and that was an education program at time. It was ahead of its time, no pun intended. Tell us more about that. Sure. I mean, what was so great about my time at Time Inc., I spent about seven years there, is that I was able to actually work in sort of startup settings, if you will, within a larger organization, whether it was at Sports Illustrated, looking for new revenue opportunities and new products to market to subscribers, whether it was helping to launch Entertainment Weekly magazine, or whether it was to really help create this corporate sponsorship program at Time Magazine, which was to be able to service underprivileged schools with Time for Kids, free subscriptions that were sponsored by the various different corporate advertisers that Time had. That's wonderful. And what a service for the kids. So there you really started a massive change. You really reinvented yourself. I'd love to say when after you paid off your student loans. <laughs> so that obviously took a while, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us about how you took an internship at Cabin Creek Films. Yeah. So just to give you a little context, I haven't grown up as a child of immigrants who came to this country with nothing. I practically funded my own education through college with scholarships and loans. And it took me a number of years to pay back those student loans. But the day that I was able to pay back, I decided to take a pause and to really reflect on what I wanted to do next, which was to do something more creative. So I'd been, I'd worked on the business side of the media industry. And I really had this desire to scratch my creative itch, if you will. And so filmmaking was a big interest of mine. And so I pivoted. And I got started as an intern for Barbara Capo at Cabin Creek Film. She's a multiple Academy Award winning documentarian. And I started from the bottom up, you know, doing dishes in the office, making and <laughs> rolling up my sleeve, and just really learning on the job. So tell us about some of the work that you're most proud of at the, from there. Well, so I started as an intern there, but from there, I was able to accelerate into other opportunities. I worked on a few films that did super well. One was called My Architect. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, actually, at Cabin Creek, I did work on a documentary. I helped out with a conversation with Gregory Peck, which uh, was invited to premiere at Cannes Film Festivals and honored in other ways. At the same time, I worked on a short film that was also invited to premiere at Cannes. So I was just really fortunate to have worked on a number of projects that just got great visibility and lots of recognition from the industry. 
Yeah, no, very exciting. And I loved how you said when you took time off to raise your children. So because you took a break from here and your title on your LinkedIn profile is chief plate spinner and super mom. (laughs) (laughs) You want to tell the story about going to cons? Sure. I had delivered my first child. It was in the year 2000. And I was still in the hospital. It was two days later. I got a call from uh, in the hospital from the producer I was working with on the short film. And she called to very excited to say, guess what? We had, you know, our film had gotten into Cannes. And I said, well, guess what? I just had a baby. <laughs> so <laughs> two very exciting things happening within a span of a few days. And the festival was three weeks later after giving birth. And I did end up going without the baby, of course. And I mean, this is really funny, but I did go with a breast pump. I was really determined to breastfeed my son. It was going in between screamings, hiding in bathroom stalls, pumping my breast. <laughs> I swear that scene's going to end up in a movie one day. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And then you had to carry the breast milk back to New York. Yes, I had to refrigerate it. Oh, what a process. It's not easy being a working mom. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. That's the, the epitome of multitasking. <laughs> After I know you had taken some time off, you raised your children, but then talk to us about how you ended up where you are now, because I love how technology and storytelling has been this common thread in all of your positions. And you're obviously very passionate about leveraging technology. You have a great saying, which is leveraging technology for a better tomorrow. Can you talk a little bit about your transition to first there was Flipkart and then everything? Sure. Actually, before I do that, I wanted to comment about that line in my LinkedIn profile, the chief plate spinner and super mom. I actually put that in there kind of tongue in cheek to make light a little bit about something. But actually, there's something somewhat serious I want to touch on. And that is many women take some time off to raise their children. It comes at a huge cost professionally, right, to our professional growth and development. And sometimes we don't know how to represent that to the public. I made that decision that I was actually going to put it out there. I was going to be very honest about that time and hope that people recognize that it is not time wasted. It's it's really valuable time personally and also for professional growth because you learn a lot of soft skills while you're being a mom and managing multiple things, running a household. And so that was the reason why actually I put it there because I wanted to show to other women who have done the same thing that it is the more we are open about this, the more I think, you know, people have to accept that this is effective reality, right? I'm so glad that you said that because I mean, that's, that could be a whole other discussion, but it's such an issue for moms who want to take time off and then come back. And where do they come back in terms of their career and the career ladder, as opposed to a male counterpart? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, fathers take times off too, so to be fair, but it is more often women who do it. And I, I just think that it's important for professional organizations to recognize that this shouldn't be a detriment to somebody re-entering the workforce and trying to re-accelerate their So moving on to your question about my time in tech, I actually started seven and a half years ago with a company called Idumu. And it was actually a disruptive technology. It was a SaaS platform that produced personalized videos at scale. So imagine every single consumer gets a video personalized to them. Hi, Linda. Hi, Judy. Hi, Tom. You know what I mean? And that message is personalized and they produced it at scale. So it was an incredibly disruptive technology. Spent two years there in client services and business development. And actually, I was employee number three here in the US. It was an Israeli tech company looking to expand their operations here in North America. So I was part of that team. 
And then two years later, I moved over to Upstream Commerce, which is a competitive pricing analytics and predictive analytics assess platform. I was there for two years as VP of customer success, and I helped to actually prepare the company for a sale to a company called Flipkart, which was also purchased by Walmart. So that happened about two and a half years ago. And from there, I moved over to everything as VP of sales. Now, and we should say everything is spelled differently. You want to comment on that? <laughs> it starts with the E, vowel E, but no other vowels after that. <laughs> E-V-R-T-Y-T-H-N-G. Autocorrect has a horrible time with this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and so our listeners know when we actually post this, it's not a typo. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Tell us about everything is really built upon an industry or starting with an industry that's gotten some pretty compelling statistics. You want to just talk a little bit about that first? So everything, you know, in 2011, 2012 was founded on this vision that every consumer product around the world, I think at last count there were potential about 4 trillion, that every consumer product should be connected to the World Wide Web and that they should be intelligent and be able to participate in a digital ecosystem. We were early with the technology. The market wasn't quite ready, but we spent the last eight, nine years really developing the platform. And over the course of the last, I would say, two, three years, things have really started to accelerate, and particularly during this COVID period, where increasingly we want to know more about the products that we're purchasing, putting on our bodies, putting in, you know, where do they come from? What are they made of? How were they produced, et cetera, right? That's sort of the foundation of what everything is, is that we digitize physical products who have a digital identity in the product cloud. And we apply different types of rules and intelligence using AI, machine learning. We also gather data about those items in order to make the products smarter and be able to deliver on different business applications. So supply chain visibility, track and trace, authentication of products, traceability, transparency, provenance, and engaging with consumers to provide the transparent information and to validate that these products are what they say they are. And that is a huge issue today. You're starting, it sounds like it really could be any industry that would benefit from this. Yes, absolutely. It is a technology that's applicable to any consumer product. And if you think about it, the way I look at it is we're actually helping the consumer products industry come into the digital age. Like, in other words, you know, so many things are digitized now, right? But consumer products still remain physical, inanimate things. And so what we're doing is we're actually making them into active digital identities, connecting them to their digital twins in the platform and make them smarter and be able to, you know, and, and, and be able to deliver value to the organizations as well as to consumers. And so one industry in particular that you've been working a lot in has been fashion. You want to speak to that? Yes. So the fashion industry, you know, I have learned so much about the fashion industry, about the level of environmental waste that it produces, the carbon footprint that it produces, and what it's really doing to our, you know, the significant impact it is doing to, to our planet, right, in a negative way. We work with a couple of fashion brands whose mission really is around sustainability, and we're helping them to tell that transparency or, or to be more transparent with their consumers, leveraging data. So it's one thing for a brand to say, 
we're sustainable, right? <laughs> so we need to make that claim. But how do we back that claim up, right? We do it through data. We're able to leverage data from various parts of a company in order to be able to validate the supply chain journey, validate the raw materials, validate that they were produced without slave labor and so forth, right? It's really about leveraging data to validate the claims that brands are making. The garment industry, in contrast to so many others, the amount of waste and the amount of pollution that it causes just from garments that are bought and discarded, I mean, the numbers are pretty astounding. They are really astounding. For example, I mean, this was like blew my mind. I read in a study that a single cotton t-shirt uses water that a consumer would take two and a half years to drink. I mean, think about that. A single cotton t-shirt requiring so much water to, to manufacture. And the other really staggering set is that over half of garments apparently end up in landfills at the end of the year. The impact on our environment by the fashion industry is just mind-blowing to, in my, to, to me. It's, uh, it's me too. Me too. Absolutely. It is. It's scary. Could you share some, it's always nice to hear an example of, you know, how this is working, like the before and the after. Could you share a couple of examples of how you're helping your clients? Sure. So one of my clients is a new fashion brand called Another Tomorrow. Another Tomorrow is a mission-driven, sustainable fashion brand. We actually work with them to fully digitize their products from the very beginning, pre-launch. And so when they launched their products in January, every single product that they produced had a digital identity in the Everything Product Cloud. And that identity was embedded in a serialized QR code on the care label inside the garment. And when the consumers scan that label, they are able to see the providence information of that garment. Where was it produced? What is it made of? How was it produced? And so forth. All kinds of really great information about those specific products. And so it's really bringing transparency to consumers about those products and to, as I said before, validate the sustainability assertions made by the brand. That's one example. And there's actually a fabulous video of you and your CEO or your CEO and the the person who heads up another tomorrow, which we'll link in here. Yes. So that video was a passion project for me because I was able to leverage my filmmaking background to produce it. It's something that's very near and dear to my heart because not only does it highlight that my customer, Another Tomorrow and Vanessa, uh, the founder, but also it highlights Niall, our CEO, and how he talks about our company and the impact that we could make in the fashion industry and in other vertical markets. And it's not just fashion. Can you maybe quickly tell us about this? There was a seafood company, I believe. Yes. So we are working with the world's largest producer of farmed Atlantic salmon called Movie. And they're out of Europe. And we have a traceability use case with them where, again, serialized codes are put on their salmon products, premium salmon products. Consumers find them in the supermarket. They scan the codes. They are able to track the journey of that piece of salmon that they have in their hands. Where did it grow? How long did did it take to harvest them? How was it processed? When was it shipped? Et cetera, et cetera, right? Following the journey of that product from the ocean to the table, in essence. One of the things I'm curious about is for the end consumer, let's say for me, if I'm going in the supermarket and I buy pizza salmon and I see there's a, a barcode on the package, 
am I able to look and see as a consumer where it, where it started? Yes, exactly. So these codes are consumer facing. These are QR codes that can be scanned with smartphones without an app. So now most smartphones now you just open up the camera, point it at the QR code and it's scanned. So Another Tomorrow, Ralph Lauren, Movie, all of these codes are scannable with a QR code. And that's why actually many of our customers use QR codes for this program because it is scannable easily with smartphones. There are other types of digital technologies like RFID, NFC, et cetera, but QR codes have the highest level of adoption right now because it is easy to interact with and you don't need an app. And what a great opportunity for your client who's, you know, let's say Ralph Lauren. I mean, that's really part of an education and branding program that can give them just such a boost to their reputation. Yeah, absolutely. So Ralph Lauren is a global program and their main use case was in brand protection. So many brands have a counterfeiting problem and diversion problem. And so we are able to address those problems with our technology by digitizing every single garment that Ralph Lauren produces, every garment, I'm not even talking about SKU level, every item that they produce has a unique digital identity embedded into a QR code that consumers can scan and authenticate that the products are real, as well as to get some other types of consumer engagement experiences, whether it's a, you know, redirecting them to the e-com site or other branded content that they're interested in delivering to their consumers. That's amazing. Your clients are getting, I mean, and this is not meant to be a commercial, but really they're getting so much value, yes. you know, between just being able to operate more efficiently and have that transparency, but all these added things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just to put it really simply, product digitization and being able to manage those digital identities in a product cloud gives the brand the ability to be able to track and trace that item from cradle to grave, from point of manufacture, through the supply chain to point of sale, into the hands of consumers, and even as they're being recycled and participating in a circular economy. So they have full visibility end-to-end. So what are the biggest challenges that you're facing as a company that everything is facing? So we're growing very quickly. As I said before, the market is exponentially accelerating, particularly post-COVID. I would say for me personally, It's really educating the market fast enough, right? I think this is a fairly new technology and people don't know what they don't know. (laughs) Just the other day, I was in my local supermarket doing some market research for another seafood company that I'm in conversations with. And I went to look at the shelves to see what's being digital. And there are a number of products with QR codes on them. However, they just lead to simple landing pages. And so we're approaching these brands to say, look, you could do so much more. So people don't quite understand the level of capabilities that this type of technology can bring. So it's just the education part is it's time consuming, but it's so necessary because people don't know what they don't know. So I see that as a a challenge for me right now is to just being able to educate the market quickly. And where do you see the business down the road? Oh, well, we are making traction in every vertical, as I said, apparel, food and bed, CPG, wine and spirits, beauty, etc. We see this technology being adopted across the board, pharma. We just see this is a wave of the future. And the other thing that's really driving this technology, and we are a standards-based platform where we work with coding standards so that we're in operable and be able to work with different types of data structures. 
But GS1 is the global body that actually issues the barcodes. And we work with them to design or to create this new standard called the GS1 Digital Link. And the adoption of the GS1 Digital Link is also going to really help to accelerate this technology. What I mean by that is the GS1 Digital Link will eventually replace the 1D barcode. That means that one code on products, the brands will be able to use it throughout the product lifecycle, through supply chain, at point of sale, consumer engagement, and so forth. And so that's really going to help accelerate adoption. The other thing is the ability to print serialized codes at scale. So variable code printing technology has really accelerated. And so that's going to really help adoption as well. So the consumer products industry is all heading in the direction of product digitization, standardization, connectivity, really coming into the digital age. Wow, that is really exciting. You're there at the very beginning. That's awesome. (laughs) Yes, it's exciting. So one of the things I love to ask my guests is, what's the best advice that you ever got, Judy? And how did it change you? And by the way, it could be the advice that you didn't take. (laughs) I would say that this is something that I, this was an advice I got and I really embraced within the last decade, as I get older and wiser, is to only focus on the things that you have some influence over and let the rest go. I think that, and this is true for me personally and professionally, I think as human beings, it's my personal opinion, that letting go is one of the hardest things to do. And And it was very difficult lesson for me to learn as well. But once I really embraced this idea that you can only control what you can control, it's really quite liberating, actually, to be able to let go of the things that you can, you know, don't let it cause you stress, don't, you know, don't lose sleep over it, right? So I would say that was the, the best advice I got in the last 10 years. I love that. So letting go, only focusing on the things that you have influence over. I mean, those are words of wisdom. Finally, and we've got, I know we've just got a short amount of time, but I I wanted to ask you and more of a fun thing, but Judy, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, I, you know, I spent a minute thinking about this. I came to the conclusion, I would love to be able to slow down time. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, if you think about it, it's the one thing you cannot repeat, you cannot regain, you cannot buy. I just feel time is passing by so quickly and there's so much more I want to do. And during the years that I was home with the children, I loved it. It was rewarding and fulfilling and I wouldn't change anything, but it did slow down my professional (laughs) development and growth. And so I'm just really running at 200 miles per hour, trying to make up for that lost time. And again, there's just so much I want to do, not just at everything, but with some other personal interests that I have. And so that would be what I would like is to be able to slow down time. (laughs) I'm right there with you. (laughs) All right. Well, Judy, we're at the end of our show. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your journey, your excellent insights. If our listeners want to find out more about you and everything, where should they go? They can go to everything.com or they can look me up on LinkedIn and I would be happy to engage with anybody who's interested. Okay, terrific. So that's Judy Moon and everything spelled E-V-R-Y-T-H-N-G. Dot com. So my email is judy.moon at everything.com. And my LinkedIn handle is Judy K. Moon. So anybody's welcome to reach out to me. Terrific. And we'll make sure that's in the site itself where we link to the podcast. All right. Well, we, Judy, thanks again. We'll look forward to our next show and stay tuned listeners for more great stories with amazing women. 
Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.